Thank you for listening to City Church Podcast. We hope you find this message helpful. And at the same time, it is important to us that you know podcasts should not be a substitute for the flesh and blood people of the church. Church is more than sermons. If you aren't a part of a local church, we would love to help you find one in your area. Please don't hesitate to email us at sermons at borocitychurch.com. That's sermons at borocitychurch.com. We would be happy to help. Thank you for listening. Hey, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, which that's where you are. If you, if you didn't know it, um, you're at City Church, and I am one of the pastors, like I just said. Uh, before we get started this morning in the message, um, I'd like to, uh, we had another weekender this weekend, just again, um, a Friday night and Saturday morning where um, people uh, come who want to know what it means to be a part of this church family is the way the scripture describes the church as a family, as a body of inner working parts. Um, and that's why we have what we call covenant membership. We make um, promises to one another to stick by one another and help one another and um, not get mad and run away from each other, but reconcile and forgive as Christ does um, and, and does, does with us and does with the world. And so uh, we had um, several folks at our weekender this weekend who uh, became covenant members. So if you're a covenant member, they're now one of your brothers and sisters and family members, and we want you to know who they are. So if you um, were at our weekender this weekend, would you stand up if you're in here? Just like Slim Shady, go ahead, please stand up. There you are. Welcome them. All right, so now you see where they're sitting, so you can attack them with love and blessing um, directly after the service. So if you're, you're near them or you saw who stood up, or maybe um, you might want to go introduce yourself and, um, uh, and then get your kids if they're back there. Maybe get your kids first and walk with them to relieve our child care Workers. What am I even doing anymore? I don't know. All right. <laughs> I want to stick to what's written here. Okay, in 1845, the poet, author, philosopher, um, Henry David Thoreau moved to a cabin on Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts to live more deliberately away from the noise of society. Now, in his cabin, he placed three chairs, and each chair represented something about the relationships that he knew that he needed. All right, the first chair, the first chair was by itself, a single chair, and that chair represented solitude or a relationship with himself. Okay, the second chair added to the first, making two chairs, now represented friendship, two people in intimate conversation. Okay, then adding the third chair into a triangle Now, that represented society, his relationship with the society and the people around him, okay? So for Thoreau, solitude, in solitude, we come to understand ourselves in the single chair, which prepares us to come to a conversation with another person in the second chair. Additionally, when when we are secure in ourselves, we also come ready to listen to others in that second chair to really hear what they have to say without a kind of an unhealthy craving for them to affirm our worth or identity. Then we get the third chair. We can go into society with deep, secure friendship bonds that allow us to offer something then to society without having to take from society. And so instead of living a life of public display to receive society's affirmation or worth or identity, we get to give something to society. 
And then from our conversations that we have in those three chair societal relationships, things come up and we need to go back to the single chair again. And in that single chair, we get to start again and ask ourselves questions that our friends or that society has caused us to wrestle with, which then in turn makes us better to engage the two chair relationships, which then in turn makes us better to engage the three chair relationships. And then you have what is called a virtuous cycle. So if you heard of a vicious cycle before, this is a virtuous cycle. It's good practices that feed each other and actually make us better and better and better and better and better and better neighbors to the people around us. Solitude feeds friendship, feeds society, feeds solitude, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Henry David Thoreau was a transcendentalist, which doesn't mean, never mind, I'm not even going to make the joke. All right, it was a, it was a dental joke. Okay, um, <laughs> it, it had some teeth. Okay, as a Christian, I have some, <laughs> I have some issues. Well, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. All right, I have some issues with transcendental philosophy, for sure. But one thing the transcendentalists had going for them was that they looked for the divine in the ordinary, like when Thoreau saw a bug on a leaf, he didn't just see the beauty of nature, he thought about the nature of beauty. And I'm there for that all day. Which meant a, transcendental, a transcendentalist was never bored. Because all around him, at all times, he was looking, even in the silence, was looking for something bigger than himself happening in things that were smaller than him. Now, I want you to hold on to that idea of three chairs and the virtuous cycle and experiencing the divine in the boring moments of life, okay? And watch Jesus for a minute. Actually, I prefer you to watch Jesus a lot longer than that, but for our purposes today, we're just gonna watch him for a minute here. Okay, so we're gonna go to Luke 5, 15 and 16. This is not the main part of where we're gonna spend our text, but it is gonna set us up for where we're gonna spend the main time in the text today. So Luke 5, 15 and 16, just listen to this. The news about Jesus spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him, and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet, Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. See, Jesus had a three-chair kind of pattern. He'd have single-chair moments in deserted places where he would pray and be silent. Then he'd have moments with his disciples, two-chair moments of intimate conversations with those closest to him where he'd reveal himself to them and they would reveal themselves to him. Sometimes he had to kind of question it out of them. And then he'd have three chair moments, which we read about here with society, the crowd healing people or teaching them, giving something to them. And those three chair moments would drive him back again, as we see here, to the deserted places where there's just one chair set up. So that he would be recentered on the father's love and his mission of love to society and he would then take that back out to his friends and to the world, okay? So that's the virtuous cycle in Jesus' life. Now, what if Jesus had a smartphone in the deserted places? That's the question I want to pose to you today. Imagine it. If you'll forgive me any bit of heresy that's here. But it's not sin to have a smartphone, right? What if Jesus had a smartphone in the deserted places? What if he just took it with him? You know, he... He'd be there in this single chair moment in the deserted places away from the crowds. And he, you know, he, the thing keeps buzzing. He keeps getting texts from Simon the Zealot during his prayer time. Where are you at? Oh, I see. You leave me on read, you know. What if 
What if Jesus just told himself, I mean, I've been out here, you know, a while. It's not a sin to check my Insta real quick, see what folks are saying about that lady I hear back in Bethsaida. He'd be bringing the second chair and the third chair, the friends and the crowd, into the silence. Now, what effect do you think that would have had when Jesus actually went back out to meet with the disciples or ministered to the crowd? If Jesus kept his phone on him at all times, the truth is he would never really withdraw to deserted places. Instead, he'd bring all of society into the deserted places with him, and then they wouldn't be deserted places, they'd be crowded places all of the time. The single chair would be gone for Jesus. So I, I just want you to see, Jesus needed the single chair. So the question is, what the heck are we doing? Remember Jesus' conversation with Peter at the end of John's gospel? Imagine this, an intimate moment of reconciliation after Peter denied Jesus during his trial, interrupted by an amber alert. Ah, 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 ah. Can you imagine Jesus with his phone? Oh, hold on. Oh, my God, it's an amber alert. All right, hold on. Or I guess, oh, me, it's an amber alert, you know. Hold on. Oh, wait, uh, hang on. I, I feel a moral obligation to memorize this license plate number. Also, I'm not sure how to turn this off. You've been there. Oh, oh wait, just a second, Peter. Actually, I got to go. The ladies that came to the tomb Sunday morning are here, and I told them I'd meet them for brunch. Can we pick this up next week? As he's talking to Peter, like trying to, you know, remind Peter that he loves him and remind Peter of his mission. Can you imagine that, just being interrupted in that moment? Or imagine Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000 when Philip comes up and says, these folks are really hungry, but Jesus is catching up on all the Marvel movies on Disney+. Plus. So he says, just have them wait another hour until I get done here. And then 75% of the crowd leaves to get something to eat and never comes back. But at least Jesus knows how Thanos is defeated. The thing is, we all know that our screens often interrupt each of the three chairs that are so important for us to be the self-understanding, relational and societal giving beings that he created us to be, cultivating people. In fact, up to this point in this series on forming radically normal habits, we've offered you a habit for each chair. We started with scripture prayer, quiet meditation on God's word in deserted places. That's the single chair. Last week, we talked about speaking blessing into other people's lives. It's intimate, face-to-face, -face, in a way that sees another person that you're in a relationship with and responds to them. It takes a two-chair. It takes two chairs to give a blessing. That's a two-chair practice. And then Dustin led us a couple of weeks ago to think about hospitality, opening up your home or a meal for people, particularly people on the margins of society. It's communal. It's a way to minister to those on the outs. That's a three-chair discipline. And so we've given you a single chair, a two chair, and a three chair discipline, all right? But if any of those one, two, or three chair disciplines get interrupted by our phones or media subscriptions, all of them suffer because it's a virtuous circle. It's a virtuous cycle. You take one out, all of them suffer. And then we become only a facsimile, a zombie, a shell of who God is calling us to be. So today, I'm talking about a habit that seems radical that we want to normalize to help you participate in all three of those chairs. We're talking about being self-disciplined with technology, particularly screens, how to intentionally interrupt your digital interruptions to keep those chairs open, how to own a phone, a computer, and a television, 
without it owning you. All right, so our text today is going to be in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings, comes right before 2 Kings, if you have trouble finding it in the Scripture. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back corner. You just take one. It is yours to keep and own. In the meantime, the Scripture will be on the screen behind me. So I'm going to read the last verse of 1 Kings 18, because it's in, there's something in there that I want you to see. And we're going to go through verse 13 in chapter 19. And here we go. The power of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. It's so close to swept under the broom tree, okay? Suddenly, an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. And then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. And he said, get up, eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there, and he spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. <clears throat> now a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that is the word of the Lord from 1 Kings 19. Now, in this passage, if Elijah wanted to hear God, he had to get past noise, even when the noise was powerful and impressive. And he had to get to the silence. And that's what I want us to do with our screens and digital media. I want us to get past the noise to the silence to hear God, and I want us to be formed by the silence. All right? Two points today. Here's the first one. Your soul is strengthened in private silence for public relationships. Your soul is strengthened in private silence, in those deserted places, to give to your public relationships. As a pastor in 2022, there is a very real temptation for me to pursue public attention. In fact, through the magic of the internet and the iPhone in my pocket, I can be public 
24 hours a day. I suppose, you know, I could set up a camera in my bedroom and you could watch me sleep if you so desired. At any time, I can reach people on six continents. I don't think I have any followers in Antarctica yet, okay? So, so six continents. Not only that, I get a platform right up here. I take this magic carpet ride every week and ask you, do you trust me, right? Every thing, a lot, 1992. Okay, every <laughs> single week, I get up here for 35 40 Sundays of the year. You thought I was going to say minutes, and you were like, no, nah, I got you. <laughs> 35 to 40 Sundays of the year where the entire setup of this room tells you to look at me. I mean, look, there's one me, there's however many of y'all, and you're all facing me, look at me, watching me, watching my mouth move, hearing the words come out of my mouth. Like, it's a literal platform. You're here to... In some ways, hear what I have to say. Like, I know, you know, I, I know you're here to hear what God has to say, and that is admirable. But right now, I'm the only one talking in the room. I'm elevated, spotlight on me, my voice is amplified. I got a microphone right here. You see, I have a microphone. And you guys do it. You're champs at it, except for three of you. Like, you sit there and listen really well. <laughs> Here's the thing. In both those situations, broadcasting out to the world in a social media post or just standing right up here in front, of, in front of you, I get the opportunity for feedback. Online people can comment encouraging things. They can like or love a post. You guys can give me feedback in a sermon. You've already done it. You've booed. You've laughed. You've cried. We've been through it. Critics are raving, okay? And every bit of positive feedback I get makes me want to do it again and do it better, and do it in front of people to get the feedback again. Even negative feedback makes me want to get better, or at my worst makes me want to prove the haters wrong by getting back up in front, posting something or preaching something that shows that I know what I'm talking about, I'm a good pastor, I'm a good Christian, or I'm just a person you admire. Like, that's the temptation. This is a vicious cycle for the church. And it has turned thousands of churches into vacuous, hollow shells and thousands of pastors into complete hypocrites. And it can happen to me tomorrow. Or right now or next Sunday. To use Thoreau's cabin furniture metaphor, it takes the single chair, like that, that sort of model. That's all we have. That's all we have. That takes the single chair out back and it burns it, uses it for firewood. And there's no time in private, there's no time in quiet reflection, there's no time in prayer, because that is a waste of time, because that's not part of the vicious cycle that is the feedback loop. That hits me up like a drug. It garners no feedback. And all of y'all, like, some of y'all, like, that's what you want. And that's why it's such a vicious cycle, because I give you what you want, you give me what I want, you know, you sit on your butts out there, you listen, you go home, you say, that was a great sermon, I stand up here, I said, people saying I'm a great sermon, and it's a vicious cycle, and it's really hard to break free of. 
And then it takes the two chair. Once you burn the single chair, then it takes the two chairs of relationship, and it primarily uses that second chair not for speaking blessing, but for networking, using the person sitting across from you only to strengthen your platform, not to get to know them and know where they hurt and where, you know, where the holes are and where they ache and where they need discipleship and where they need Jesus, where they need your love, where they need your rebuke, where they need your careful attention. That's not what we use the two chairs anymore in that feedback cycle. Now the two chairs are all about networking. Because doing that, that listening and blessing thing and, and hanging with somebody for a long time in those two chairs, that's too slow. And relationships end up just being people who can get you in front of more people. So the weak and the marginalized, the hurting, they get none of our attention because how will that help us get the feedback we crave? So life, then, all you have left is the three chairs. And even in your home or with your family, there are no private moments. Every moment becomes a stage, a platform to engage the three chairs where you are doing very little listening and understanding. And even your private moments are videoed and TikToked. And you're just doing the public ministry of being heard to get feedback. So, like, that's my temptation. What's yours? When we live that way, there is rarely, if ever, any private silence in our lives. While the phone in the pocket is new, guys, this temptation is not. Here's Jesus on it. Look at Matthew 6. First, the first five verses of, of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. This is the three chairs. To be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. Uh, that, that was kind of like their, um, that was their TikTok, a trumpet, okay? Don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Been a, like, people we've been wanting this feedback loop, this applause feedback loop for a long I mean, here it is, guys. This is the ancient text, 2,000 years, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, they have their reward. In other words, Jesus is affirming here. You get something out of that, out of the applause of the crowd? You absolutely do. And he says that. It's a reward. It will be rewarding. But look what you lose. He says, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Anybody want to trade that? Like, that's red soup for birthright kind of stuff. Okay? Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. But when you give to the poor, he tells you how to do it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Who sees in secret? Who do we give access to the secret places? The Lord. Like that's, that's Jesus' teaching on this. Whenever you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. You know what that is? That's Pharisees who are all about the three chair. In other words, their prayer is not about the single chair. They're not doing single chair prayer. Ooh, that rhymes. They're not doing single chair prayer. They're, tear, they're tearing single chair prayer. <laughs> I was trying to go there. Sometimes I can get on a roll. They're not doing single chair prayer. They're just, do, like, they're just videoing their prayer and putting it out on socials. He says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. In other words, are you going to get something good from it? Yeah, like, no doubt, you're going to get positive feedback. But you cashed in too early. He says, when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. This is, this is an asterisk. We're not going to go down this trail. This doesn't mean that public prayer is wrong. Obviously, 
We would not have prayed publicly today if that was the case. Okay, I'm just going to say that, and we're going to move on from that because that's not the point of today's sermon. All right, here's what Jesus is saying. Don't burn the single chair. That's not firewood. You need to sit in it every day. Jesus is saying, do like I did. Go to deserted places to pray. Get the molten lava cake. No, that's a different kind of dessert place. All right. And leave your phone. Listen, leave your phone in the other room. Because it's not a deserted place if your phone is in there with you because all of the crowds are with you as soon as that phone's with you. Meet with God in private. It says he sees you. That's the important thing. And though you won't get the laud and praise of the crowd in the vicious cycle of the feedback loop, there is still a better reward that comes, he says, from your heavenly father. He sees you in secret, and that's a better reward. Now, it's better that the heavenly father sees you than everybody else sees you, and the heavenly father, there's no reward with your heavenly father. Now, let's talk about what we saw from Elijah in that passage in 1 Kings, okay? Look at the end of chapter 18, verse 46. Elijah is fresh off an encounter that, if it would have happened today, would absolutely have made Elijah a viral video celebrity. Elijah owns the libs. Don't miss what happens at minute 323, you know? Like, that's the kind of stuff this would be. His follower account, Elijah's follower account on Mount Carmel would have exponentially grown overnight. He just had this encounter with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel where he represented Yahweh in power. It was a showdown for the ages. (coughs) You know, the rock was out there. Do you smell what Elijah is cooking? Like it was that kind of scene. It was Super Bowl-esque. You know, Snoop Dogg came out in his wheelchair and was like, (laughs) he was on, man. Elijah was on. Elijah was slick in this thing. He had some great jokes, really, like when he teased the prophets of Baal that their God must have gone to the bathroom or something. That's why fire wasn't coming down when all of their prophets prayed lighting up the offering with fire. I can see everyone with their phones out. And then as Elijah stands up after hours and hours of Baal's prophets attempting to get fire in one prayer, one single prayer, Elijah calls down fire from heaven that completely consumes the sacrifice on the altar after, by the way, he has had, in a very public stunt, gallons and gallons of water dumped all over the woods surrounding the altar, making it seemingly impossible. In other words, let's make this harder. I mean, it is like Evil Knievel, or whatever is not a 1970s reference, like making the jump, you know, wider. It's like, let's make this more difficult. This is a public stunt for the ages. And it is sanctioned by Yahweh, okay? So it's not, law, it's not wrong to be public. It's not wrong for me to stand up here under a spotlight. I just got to know the shadow of it. It's yeah. right there. So in this last verse, finishing this, we get this phrase about how the power of the Lord was on Elijah. And no doubt in this very public victory, everyone could see that. Now, One might gather from a public scene like this that Elijah is invincible, has it all together, would not back down from any challenge. And in fact, this is the kind of feedback loop. If if people videoed this and put it out, that's the kind of feedback he would get and he would love it. You're awesome. You're great. Can't wait to see you, you know, own the prophets of Molech, you know. That's the feedback. And and it would, I mean, the likes would be through the roof for this dude. 
And I just wonder if he would have had his phone in his pocket. I wonder if, if chapter 19 ever would have happened at all. Because you know how tempting it can be when people really like what you do in public? It's super tempting just to keep doing that in public over and 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 over again. It's tempting to just burn the single chair or forget it or put it up in the attic and go, I clearly don't need that. Look how awesome I am. You need proof? Look at all these people that tell me I'm awesome. Anybody ever seen, like we'll just stick in my profession, a pastor where people keep telling him he's awesome and then you find out he's not awesome? Anybody ever seen that? I see it all the time. I have a book jacket up on my wall in there endorsed by pastors about how dangerous ministry is. Three of them are no longer in ministry. One of them's not even a Christian anymore. I don't even need the book anymore. I threw the book out. I just keep the jacket, and I put it up, and I circle all their endorsements on the back of their book about how needed that book is, about how dangerous ministry is. It's in my face every day. Because it's just real easy, guys, to get the positive feedback and to start believing your own hype. And so I wonder, if that feedback loop was there for Elijah, would we even have chapter 19? So let's look at chapter 19. Look at verse 3 and 4. Jezebel, the pagan queen, threatens his life. Elijah is described, I mean, just after this monumental scene of power and strength and closeness with Yahweh, Elijah is described as afraid. And he goes into a cave in a wilderness to pray. And his prayer is honest and full of fear. He says, take my life, Lord. Honestly, our elders, we don't do the take my life part, but we do the what the heck are we doing all the time. Jeremy threatens to turn his resignation every week. Every week. He keeps it written up in a bottom drawer, and he opens that drawer up and says, this is the day. I'm like, hold on. Okay, I'll, I'll give it another week, you know. So can I just tell you a little secret that might not be a secret to you anymore? Everyone, I mean everyone, is insecure. I am. In all of us, even in the most outwardly confident celebrity or athlete, there are nagging little inner questions. Am I good enough? Am I doing the right thing? Does anybody really know me? Does anybody really love me? Am I fooling myself? Am I a fraud? Now, I want you to watch how God meets Elijah in this cave, alone in the wilderness, Elijah in his single chair. Look at this. Verse 11 like he did Moses in Exodus chapter 33. This is kind of a, a recast of that event. Yahweh passes by Elijah in a cave in all of his glory where Elijah is hidden inside of this rock. It is a personal encounter with the God of all creation, the most powerful being in the universe. Now look at verse 12 and 13. But before Yahweh passes by, this huge whirlwind strikes the mountain and rocks tumble down. And then the earth shakes. And then Elijah sees fire flash in front of his eyes. And yet the scripture says none of that was Yahweh. It's like Yahweh's pump faking with power. That was basketball, just in case you didn't know. That's not how he would reveal his glory in this single chair moment to Elijah. By the way, it's not how he did in Moses in Exodus 33. You know what it came through? It came through a voice. Words. 
It's like the most powerful being in the universe, Yahweh himself, pulls up a chair next to Elijah's single chair, and they have a two-chair moment. Can you imagine that with the Lord? The most powerful being in the universe sits down for a chat. All of the stuff that would make for an incredible viral video, the Lord wasn't in any of that. And I wonder about Elijah. If Elijah had a phone in his pocket in that cave, what do you think he would have recorded and sent out? The wind, the earthquake, and the fire. You know, with his selfie stick, oh my gosh, guys, this has to be God. This is such a God moment. And while he's editing his TikTok or his Instagram post, Guess what he misses? The gentle whisper. Yeah. My God. <laughs> you know what we have in our pockets? That temptation almost every minute of the day. We're being shaped by it. It's changing us. And you can take it seriously or you can write it off. But I'm telling you, humanity, while we're on one hand the same, we have new tools to destroy ourselves. And God could have been in all of the powerful stuff. In fact, in Scripture, in all of these ways throughout Scripture, we actually see Yahweh in mighty winds and in earthquakes and in fire. Like that stuff does happen, no doubt. And no doubt God is powerful and can do stuff that's worthy of a social media post. Like, I'm totally on board with that. However, that's not what Elijah needs in his insecurity and fear. He has to recognize this as a single chair moment, and it needs to stay a single chair moment. That's not what he needs in this wilderness retreat. That's not what he needs in the cave. It's not a three-chair moment. What he needs is the Lord's voice in a soft whisper. The Hebrew language here is very mysterious. It's literally a still silence. God in the still silence. The voice of the Lord came in a still silence. And notice the self-reflective question. I love what God, it reminds me of what Jesus does with Peter at the end of the Gospel of John where he just asked Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it, it, Yahweh does it here with Elijah. He asked him the question twice, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then God puts on this powerful display where Elijah hears nothing and then on all of the shaking and blowing in fire, but it is in the moment of silence that God says again, after all this stuff has passed, God shows up again in a voice and says, now, hey, buddy, seriously, what are you doing here? From here, in this quiet single-chair moment in God's presence, Elijah is sent out for some two-chair conversations and some more three-chair public ministry. It is in this single-chair moment that he is refueled with confidence to go back out, exactly what Jesus does in the deserted places. Because it is in the private, still, silent moments filled with scripture prayer, hearing the Lord speak, where he will ask you questions like, what are you doing here, Trevor? No, really, what are you doing here, Trevor? It's in the wrestling we do with God in the quiet, in the dark, in the moments that cannot be videoed or posted. It's in the wilderness, in the cave, it's like we, we talked about with Jacob last week or a couple of weeks ago with, with, with Jacob like at the edge of the river and he sent all his belongings over and he's there in the dark and he wrestles with an angel of the Lord. Like when we eliminate those moments by bringing our phone into it, um, guys, we lose something that is fundamental 
to knowing God. Those are not times that are fit for public consumption. That's when God meets us and reframes the way we see ourselves, the way we see him, and he sets us up to give to the world instead of clamor for feedback from the world. You've heard it said, picks or it didn't happen. I say to you, rather, if you want it to happen, put the phone away. By it, I mean truly beautiful, deepening, life-altering, two-chair and three-chair moments. If you want them to happen, you've got to put the phone away for the single-chair moments. They are all fueled by the single chair. And then when you go, again, into society like that or into relationships like that, you will actually come into things that give you fuel to go back to the single chair moments, have more conversations with God about, man, I'm really thinking about this because this person said this to me. Or I'm really thinking about this because this is going on in our society. And then you get the single chair moments over again, and that refuels you. You get in the virtuous cycle instead of the vicious feedback cycle of like being a public display. And nothing interrupts your single chair moments of listening to God like bringing the entire world into those moments with text, emails, social media posts, or games. Y'all, my son introduced me to Retro Bowl a couple weeks ago, and I got addicted really quick, okay? So I had to delete it off my phone because it's an awesome game. I love games. I love video games. Can Can I just tell you that? Now, they just released it on the Switch. I found it. Now I put it on the Switch. But you know what I don't do with my Switch? I don't take it with me. I had to get it off my phone. Because it'd be like, I'd sneak back there. These guys didn't know this, but I was like, I got to get a fix of Retro Bowl. I'd go back in the nurse's mother's room, I'd play a quick game. <laughs> that's how, hey, that's how, that's how weak I am. I'm just telling you guys. I'm not, I mean, I literally am platform, but I'm, I'm like you, man. I'm weak. Like, I have to do stuff like no games on phones, no games on phones, no games on phones. Because I will win the Retro Bowl over, draft a new you know, class players up there, you know, get, it, get my quarterback when he can throw further. Like, that's what I'll do. <laughs> Digital media interrupts your silence and counterfeits your relationship. That's what's at stake. First off, I'm going to be brief with this point that deserves a lot more explanation and understanding, so I'm going to do it two weeks in a row. I'm going to recommend that you read Chris Martin's book, Terms. Chris, wave, wave your hand. He did, I swear he doesn't ask me to do this. Here's a covenant member. Here's a family member that has written a, a real, yeah, give him a hand. He has written, I finished it last week, he has written an excellent book that, that honestly just comprises a lot of research. I've read a ton of the stuff, a ton of the stuff that he references in this book, and, and so I know what's the content of those books, and I've struggled to put all that content in one place. Chris has done it, and he's done it in a very readable, very understanding way so that you both know the history of our social internet, and you also know the effects of it, and because he's your brother in Christ, He talks to you about ways to mitigate that and interrupt those interruptions in a way that honors Christ. So I would suggest you get on Amazon and buy Chris's book, Terms of Service, and then when you do, give him a rating, which is another problem I'll talk about later in a different time, the way that everything is down to five stars. But it's the way we got to do it now, and he's got a baby to feed. All right, so. And I swear, he did not. Chris would never ask me to do that, and so this is... This is all me legitimately telling you this is a great resource that you need to get. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Go get Terms of Service. But let's talk about Blaise Pascal for a second. I've shared this with you before. It is an incredible quote that haunts me often. Blaise Pascal said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, Blaise Pascal wrote that in the 1600s. 
There was no smartphone, no movies, no television, no social media in the 1600s. That's when he wrote that. That's what Blaise Pascal was observing in the 1600s, which tells me, on one hand, this is not a new problem. The problem of humanity trying to avoid the quiet, the boring moments, the sort of times where you hear God say, what are you doing here? That is a very old problem. Like we've seen it already in the ancient text, New Testament and Old Testament. We see it in the 1600s with Blaise Pascal and we see it now, okay? However, the tools we have to mitigate the quiet, to stave off the boredom that provides opportunity to hear from God and be refreshed and sent back out to our relationship and society, well, we've got more ways than ever to distract ourselves. First, digital media from a TV or a phone or a computer, it interrupts your silence. It's possible from the moment you wake up to the moment you close your eyes to sleep to passively receive shiny, exciting, powerful information. You ever had this experience? You sit down and read your Bible, you take your phone with you, maybe you're reading it on your phone, you're reading your Bible on your phone, and then you get a text message. And you look at the text message, you can't help it. Like, you're so trained to do it. You're like a, a mouse in a cheese maze, okay? And you go, oh, it's my friend. I, I wonder what they want. Curiosity is killing you. And you're like in the middle of these and nows, and that's not interesting. And oh, my gosh, they texted me three times in a row. This is an emergency. <laughs> so then you what, you, what do you say? I'll, and we all know it, just check. I'm just going to check. And suddenly, boom, it's 38 minutes later. You've watched three YouTube videos, replied to an email, and know that Wyoming is expecting record snow next week. Hey, that's happened to me. And you're like, what am I doing? Like, I start asking myself, where are you, Trevor? Like, what universe do you live in? You look around and say, what just happened? In fact, it happens to me nearly every single time I have my phone in the same room with me when I go into private to meet with God, I end up meeting with an email, a text message, the news, or a funny video. Digital media interrupts our silence, which burns the single chair, which leaves nothing to overflow into the two-chair relationships or three-chair society. So instead, we go about our day trying to take what we should be getting from God. We try and squeeze it out of those relationships. And you know what? Even in the two-chair moments, you know what? Even, like, social research has been done on this. Even a phone on the table in front of you while you talk to someone, an invisible wall goes up because we, have, we now are conditioned. When we see that phone, we know I can get an interruption, that person can get an interruption. And what do you share with someone when you think you're about to be interrupted? You know what the answer to that question is? Nothing. You share nothing. It's in private mode. That's why... People get stuck on elevators. It can be a total stranger. You get stuck on an elevator where your phone doesn't work, guess what? You're about to open your life up. You're about to have a friend or enemy for life. You get stuck on an elevator with somebody. Trapped in a cave, phone broken, guess who you're about to get to know? Because everybody knows, we ain't going anywhere. I have no choice but to talk to you. We might as well get real. I mean, guys... You know, kids will, like, this is in books and such that I've read, okay? Kids will go off to camps where they're forced to turn off their phones. And they interview some of these kids if they, after they go to these social media quiet camps or phone quiet camps. And the kids, you know, go, yo, yo, ah! You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like they're committing these kids on the front end. Yeah, yeah, one more time, you want to do that again? <laughs> Somebody tell my wife, she's a lucky lady, all right. 
Y'all don't know how many times I do that stuff at home, okay? But these kids will come back, and at the end of the week or two weeks or of camp where they don't have their phones, and they ask the kids, what did you like the most about camp? You know what all those kids say, teenagers? You know what they say? I love not having my phone. Because when everybody's got to have it, oh, the phones are gone, the pressure's off, there's a way of breathing and sharing. Nobody, it's not an option anymore to, to record. You don't have the pressure of making sure that your profile goes out into the world and you're keeping your status up. You literally can't do it. It's cut off from you. Guys, it, like the research is so evident that we're killing ourselves and yet we can't stop. As I'm going to tell you, that's not the church of Jesus. Like death can't stop us. If death can't stop us, what the heck are we going to do with our phones, all right? We're going to own them, not let them own us. Think about this. Digital media can even fool us about the relationships that we think we have because digital media counterfeits relationships. Think of the celebrity that you love or the character in a TV show you love. You watch this person for like an entire series that you binge, you know, of a show, and you get attached to their character, or even not their character, you just feel like there's an actor or actress that every time they put out a movie, you go see it, and you've seen every interview they've ever done, and it feels like you have a relationship with that person. So much so, you walk in the grocery store, you see that magazine that's, who's buying these things anymore? All right, but they're still there. And you see that celebrity, and you're like, oh, that ain't true. I know all about that, you know. What's happening here? That ain't true, right? Because you know, you feel like, that's my friend. You better not talk about my friend. Now... On some level, we all know that's a little crazy stalkerish. And deep down, deep down, we know we've never met that person. But now, think about the people that you actually have met. And now social media calls them your friends or your followers. And most of your engagement with them happens actually now when you start to think of it through texting or through Facebook posts. And on both of your ends, you are afforded the opportunity of editing yourself every time you present yourself to that person. You're able to edit your words. You can change the filter of how you present your looks and you can speak without body language. And when you type out your authentic, honest message in a text, you get to do the three bubbles, edit, craft, curate, the way you present yourself. Y'all know those three bubbles show up and then they disappear? Y'all know that person's going, oh, that ain't why I want to put that. Well, you can't do that in conversation. Most of us don't, oh, hang on, let me... Just a second. Hang on. I need to say this right to you. No, what do you do? You bumble around. You make mistakes. You say the thing. You have this interaction that happens face-to-face. You read body language. Even on Marco Polo, you ever catch yourself using the first couple of seconds evaluating how you look? I've never done this. Other people have. <laughs> like you look, The first thing you get on Marco Polo, the first thing it shows you is what? yourself. And I'm like, oh. And then you always try to fix your hair and you go to the wrong side because it's not mirrored. And you're like, oh, oh, wrong one. Right? That's clearly a problem for me. I got a haircut next week so I can feel the whole thing falling right now. (laughs) Oh, man. Anthony is waiting for me to look like Edward Scissorhands, he said in our elder text. All right? I'm here for it, man. Whatever. All right? Marco Polo shows you how you look when you talk. You know, when you're in a conversation, you don't know how you look when you talk. Because why? Because you're looking at the other person. Your focus is outside of you. Marco Polo is teaching us. And I use it, man. I mean, it's a good tool that can be used. But the first thing it says is take a look at yourself. Is this wrong? Not necessarily. But here's what all of this does. It just doesn't give you the real thing. It doesn't give you the real interaction. It gives you a counterfeit of relationships. 
that sure can act as a stand-in when we need it to be. But we've grown accustomed to how comfortable it can be to hide our bodies behind a screen while we curate, craft, and edit ourselves into something more admirable. And isn't it more convenient to not be embodied? You don't have to drive. You know, kids aren't getting a driver's license. You know, we used to, we turned 16, it was bam, at the DMV. There's less teenage pregnancies. It ain't because kids got like a different kind of sexual morality. It's because they actually don't, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but physically you have to unite with a person, you know, to get pregnant. That's why that's not happening. It's because it's easier to be disembodied. When you're disembodied, you don't have to drive, you don't have to get dressed, you don't have to do anything. We learned that during the pandemic, didn't we? Y'all wearing them PJ bottoms, I know. Change your name, PJ bottoms, all right? You wearing them PJ bottoms, you know, with the collar. Apple bottom jeans, boots with the fur. That's what I thought, the first thing I thought. I've never heard that song, you shouldn't listen to it, all right? But effort, listen, effort is at a minimum in counterfeit relationships. There's very little endurance in counterfeit relationships. You know why? Because you get done saying what you want to say, and you put that relationship back in your back pocket. Or your front pocket. Or for all y'all, I don't know if you know this yet, but the phone clip, there you go. Some people wear that phone clip. You do it wherever, okay? You know the moment when this hit me in my marriage? I noticed I was talking differently to my wife than I was when I would text, than I was talking to her in person. I noticed I was actually being more intimate in what I would share with her over text than what I would share with her face-to-face. Guys, that's a huge problem. Like guys is in the unisex, guys and gals. That's a huge problem. Huge problem. Huge problem. If I can't talk to my wife face-to-face, I have to go to a screen and mitigate the uncomfortableness of being face-to-face and opening up. Guys, that's running from embodiment. You know who didn't run from embodiment? Jesus. He is God-embodied. He limited himself. All right, let's talk about, we got to finish up. Here's how we're going to finish. Let's talk about habits and practices. This is a practicing series, so let me give you one. Here's a one, here's one, a one chair and a two chair practice. Really simple. Scripture before phone and leave the phone in another room. That's your one chair practice. Do it. Put it in another room. Make it difficult to get to. Make, make yourself, if you're going to get to your phone, make it uncomfortable to get to. Two chair practice, okay? In other words, when you're having conversations, keep, keep your phone on Dungeons and Dragons. No, that's do not disturb. Keep your phone on do not disturb out of sight in conversations. Now, there's a million more practices I could give you for technology, but I know we won't all do them, so I'm just trying to narrow it down. So when you're in a relationship, don't put your, when you're in a conversation, don't put your phone in sight. Put it out of sight, in a purse, in a man bag, in a, in a back pocket. It's better if it's off of your body, and if it's on do not disturb, it's not, it's not going to ring, okay? Scripture before phone. In other words, I'm not going to check the weather, the news, or anything else before I get in that scripture prayer. And I'm gonna, during that scripture prayer, I'm going to leave my phone in another room because then you're going to be tempted to read one verse and you got, okay, I've done that. And my friend just texted me four times. They're probably dying. I need to, like, very few times has, have you ever gotten a text, like, where you needed to go out and rescue, you know, orphans from the burning orphanage, okay? <laughs> All right, so those are our two practices. You keep that phone in, out of sight on do not disturb so it doesn't interrupt those conversations and scripture before phone and leave that phone in another room, Okay? Go pick up your phone afterwards. Read the news afterwards. Check the weather afterwards. All right. And now for our habit building tips of the week, of the week, of the week. Make bad habits difficult. That's what we talked about in leaving that phone in the other room. 
got to, like, it's difficult. I got to get up. I got to get out from under my covers. I get up. I got to walk up, walk in there to check this phone. I might as well leave it. Y'all, I read, like, what I get out of Scripture and, and how the Lord speaks to me, like, when I'm journaling or whatever, I can tell, like, it happens every time. If my phone's not in the room, it's so much better. So much better. Even though I twitch a little bit at first. It's okay. It'll settle down. It'll settle down. All right. Here's your, um, and then the, the other one, make good habits rewarding. Make bad habits difficult. Make good habits rewarding. Here's how I do this. Man, like, it's coffee time, you know? Make yourself a cup of coffee. Make some tea if you need to. And this really can work. Like, whatever your favorite snack is, you only get to have it when you're reading Scripture without your phone. Like, you can train yourself to do that. Make, man, make you some pizza rolls in the morning. By God, you know, whenever. Do the thing. I'm telling you. You have my permission. You pizza roll that thing up if that's what you need, okay? Sit down with your pizza rolls in the morning, whatever you want to do. Last night's calzone, it doesn't matter. If it's a reward to you, do it. I would rather you be fat and know the Lord. You hear me? I would rather you be fat and know the Lord than be skinny and not. Now, here's the thing. You can't be having calzones and pizza rolls all day because it won't be special in those moments. You have to save it for those moments. You can get your calzones from Lucas Pizza. I see them right down over here. They're delicious, all right? Yeah, we got writers. We got pizza. What else we got in the room? This is incredible, all right? This is your church. All right, here's the last one. And to all the people I love out there in streaming land, I love you but we need to get embodied in our worship gathering. We're going to cut off the live stream at Easter. If there is ever a day to resurrect a physical experience with the body of Christ, it is Easter. Now, I'm gonna to talk to you very briefly about this. We're giving you a long runway, and for those of you who are there, okay. For two years, we deemed a live stream was necessary. You know, we didn't do a live stream before COVID, okay? For two years, it was necessary. And we've had some good things happen with the live stream. And this is not condemning on anybody. Anybody who's watching right now is, okay, we've had some good stuff happen with the live stream. We know when we cut off the live stream, we are going to lose something. There is something we will lose. But we have to realize that church is more than information download. There are one chair, two chair, and three chair experiences that happen here that can't happen on a live stream. And there's a big fat shadow as long as we leave that running, even unintentionally, you have it running in the back of your brain that I have this safety net, this facsimile of church that I can fall back on. And I would rather you experience the deprivation of that for a week when you're sick than be trained by it for those moments where you go, man, things are crazy right now and the kids are not cooperating. And you know you've done it. We, just like, like we can just watch the live stream. And, and we just think that it's, it, for all that we gain, for all that we gain with the live stream, and we do gain some things. And this is not the last word on this. Like, obviously, we didn't know the pandemic was gonna happen. And so, you know, this thing ramps up again and it hits us from out of the blue. Yeah, we, we might turn the thing back on. But the shadow that it is casting, this is not just coming from inside our church. This is wisdom that we're getting from all over from the church. The shadow that it is casting and how it is discipling us is just, our elders have just said, man, this is too much. This is not something we thought about yesterday. This is something that we've been thinking about for a long time, a year or more. 
almost the day we turned it on. Now, for, for all of you, some of you, some of y'all are not like, you're, you're not even like in the state with us. And I understand that you're watching and I do think it's wonderful. My encouragement to you is to find the embodied presence of Christ in the town that you're in. And I know it might not be the same as us. I know that. It's not gonna be the same preacher. It's not gonna be the same band. It's not go, it might not be the same vibe. But that's part of what it means to have relationships, to get in the nitty gritty with people and experience like, an unedited kind of, you know, hey man, we're just, we have to forgive and reconcile and we have to do all that embodied. Jesus limited himself. He didn't broadcast himself to reach as many people as possible. In fact, many times Jesus withdrew from crowds where there were still tons of people to heal, begging him to come. In other words, reach me, reach me, reach me, reach me. And that's always a temptation for me but it can reach more people. I know that. But even Jesus, God himself, limited himself in his embodied presence. Many people didn't hear Jesus preach. And it was worth it to Jesus to have that single chair moment with his father because that's what fueled him to go back out. Jesus died a physical death. Jesus rose in a physical body. And where you are united to him by faith, you make the choice to deny yourself and follow him, to repent of all the ways that you've sought to be like God in the wrong ways, being everywhere at once through social media, lying to yourself or others about how awesome you are or consuming digital media like an animal with an appetite that can't be satisfied. When you repent and say, I wanna walk in your forgiveness, Jesus, I wanna walk in a relationship with you. When you do that, you become the church, you become part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't embody our screens or tweets or texts. He makes his home in the flesh and blood of people, limited human beings who have the power and presence of the Lord. And it is in the embodied presence, the church, that we will help others to follow Jesus, encounter him in single chair moments of scripture prayer, in two chair relationships when we see each other and speak blessing, and in three chair moments in public with society as we serve the needs of the world. And guys, all three of those moments can happen in here. So will you follow Jesus and become an embodied presence with us or with a church that is near you if you happen to be watching from a different city. Jesus is going to return and he's bringing physically embodied people into a physical kingdom, new heavens and new earth. So may we live as the church on earth as it is in heaven, together, embodied and present with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am insecure. I don't know if all the decisions I make, even as a leader, are the right ones. But I am sure that you can redeem even my foolishness. And I am sure, Father, that you desire embodied relationships. And Father, for all the good, I know that we can lose sometimes when we put our phones away. And like there are ways that we send texts and minister to people and even social media posts we can minister to people. That is all true, and that's not something we have to stop doing. But Father, we do want to own our phones and not have them own us. We don't want the single chair to burn or go away. We want to meet you in the quiet. So will you help us be disciplined as we practice one, two, and three chair moments without inviting the interruption of the crowd into it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.